This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we begin our examination of the Book of Hours or the Book of Glory, whichever you prefer, I guess. What does it look like to believe in Jesus? Yes, I think we're going to make a decision. I think we got we got to pick one, and I think I'm going to go with Book of Glory. I think that's what I'm going to do. It is what I like. Yeah, I just like I didn't. It wasn't my favorite ever, but the more I sit in John, the more I'm like, no, and it matches like Hebrews theology. Like this is this is what it means to be brought to glory. Jesus's glory is not what we typically think of with glory. Jesus's glory is is death. Jesus's glory is losing so that everybody else wins. Everything is upside. So I like, I, I think I like Book of Glory. I'm going to go with Book of Glory. I'm fine with Book of Hours. I like that too. And I've explained that now a few times in the podcast. So we're going to let that be. And I'm going to start calling it the Book of Glory. So there you go, Brent. We made a decision. You you like it? I, I love it. Book of Glory is my, my uh, banner. Boom. Okay, well, let's get in there and read. I'll probably let you read a whole, yeah, maybe a whole verse here. <laughs> By the way, how about that episode with Josh Bosse, huh? <laughs> We haven't recorded it yet, so I'm oh, sure yeah. it was great, though. I'm sure it was great. <laughs> I was like, Brent, what are you doing? I have no idea what he said. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so good. It will be. I, so I have zero, zero doubt that it will not be amazing. So, yeah, or, that's, good. that's awesome. Do I, do I doubt that? It, yeah, whatever. Anyway, yep. it'll, no, it'll I, be I get great. What you're saying. It'll be great. I've heard the notes. I know it's got some great content. I can't wait to hear the delivery. Yeah, I know. You've kind of had a little bit of a preview. He said he's been uh, noodling over the concept with you. So yeah. anyway, let's read the text, huh? Yes. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. All right. So it's come time for the Passover. And uh, Jesus, knowing that his time had come, so there's that idea of the hours. The hour has finally arrived. The hour is here. And uh, and now he wants to show him the full extent of his love. So what will that look like? How is Jesus going to show them how big, how deep, how wide, you know, the, the width and the depth and the breadth of his love? How How is he going to do that? We are about to see. It's going to be cloaked in the Passover context, but I'm going to let you give us a few more verses before we chat about that. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, so we I didn't put this in our notes, Brent, but we should probably link the uh, Session 3 episode on betrayal. Um, if anybody wanted to go back and revisit the context of who is Judas, and there's going to be a lot of talk about Judas in this episode today, what what is behind, you know, the devil entered into him. Like, what what is that all? Like, the adversary is at work in Judas. Um, whether you want to hear that as the devil with a capital D, my old NIV has it uncapitalized. How about yours, Brent? Um, that's episode 131, by the way. Um, okay, excellent. Verse 2. Devil is lowercase in the new NIV. Okay, in the new NIV. Okay, what does the NET do? Also lowercase devil. Okay, so it's this idea of like the adversary. The opposition is at work in Judas. and we, we talked in that episode. You said 131? Yes. Episode 131, we talked about 
Judas, uh, believing that he understands what Jesus is up to, has a pro- I, I perceive him having a zealot agenda, a zealot paradigm, a zealot worldview. That's at work at him, and and he's that's what that's what's going on there. So they're they're at the Passover meal, and without having to do a whole Passover conversation, there's a ton of things that happen before you actually have the meal. The meal, the larger Seder meal, happens with two whole portions of the meal that kind of happen before you eat the the actual dinner, and you have two whole cups worth of Seder in front of you. And and so what happens at, during the first portion, like towards that, before you even get into that first cup, one of the things that you're engaging right at that first part of the meal is a foot washing. And in a more modern sense, that's a much more... Now, by the way, when I say that, as soon as I say modern sense, let's just make it clear. We How little we know historically about the Seder of Jesus we make some pretty good educated guesses. We simply don't know what kind of Seder they're having in the first century in Jesus's context. We're pretty darn confident they're having a Seder. We don't know exactly which elements are in there. The cups, the, the do they have, do they have the, um, the Harrow set? Do they have, do they even have like, like which elements of the Seder are actually even in play in the days of Jesus? We do not know. I do believe it's clearly a Seder, and if we allowed ourselves to use the New Testament as historical evidence, like I would, then I think you can actually tell there's an awful lot of the elements at play in in the Seder that Jesus is observing. But that point needs to be made really clear. I think a lot of us start to just assume we know exactly the Seder experience that Jesus is having if we've ever studied it or been to one or experienced a Seder meal. At the end of the day, we largely don't know a whole lot of anything, but we're making some educated guesses on what we have. But in a Seder experience, in a modern sense, you're going to have a washing, a ritual cleansing. In today's context, you're simply probably going to have a hand washing, that kind of a mikvah experience. In the ancient world, that would have been a very practical washing. You've come in for the day. It's about time to sit down and have a very holy, sacred meal, a Passover Seder. And before you get started, and, and and lay down around the table. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Before you lay down around and recline around the table and put your feet everywhere, we're going to wash our feet first. So there's a there's a practical foot washing at the beginning of that of that meal. And then you get into the first part, the cup of sanctification. Today it's called the cup of blessing. I believe in Jesus' day it would have been called the cup of sanctification. You have a whole portion of remembering God's promises and taking you out of Egypt, and then you get into the second cup, the cup of deliverance, and you start remembering the story of the Exodus. And at some point before you get to the meal, there's a second washing in the second portion of the meal. Now, who knows if they did that in the first century or what that looked like? I think I could assume you've already washed, you've already done a full on foot washing. The second washing is probably more of a ritualistic mikvah, if you will. It's my belief that that is where we're at. We have not yet gotten to the second, the end of the second portion, which is going to include him dipping in a bowl. We'll get to that in a moment. But he is in the second portion of the meal before the supper meal is served. He's in the second portion of the Seder. And he goes, and all of a sudden it comes time to do the washing. And Jesus gets up, takes off his talit, takes the form of a servant and starts washing feet. Now, I want to give us some context to this. So we do have a a presentation. We got some slides for you today. It's been a while since we did that, but we got some for you to work with. 
The first slide here is going to show you the kind of table they sat around in the first century. And this is called a triclinium. Now, we just got back from Israel a few weeks ago, and I took our students um, to uh, – actually, by the time this airs, it'll be quite a while ago. But I I took uh, our students to a couple different places in ruins where they could have seen a triclinium. And you can see this kind of a table. It's a three-sided like right angled it's got it's a rectangular three-sided horseshoe shaped table and you sit around the outside of that table the inside is where people whether it's servants or other people just attending the meal can come in take stuff off the table put stuff on the table refill your wine whatever they might need to do they can come in but you sit around the outside of the table so that you're all kind of looking in towards each other and having fellowship, you don't do a full circle around the table. You just sit around the outside and you sit in triads. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see there, uh, th- those re- that would represent the seating arrangement that would have been the case in Jesus's situation. When Jesus had a Seder, he's got himself and 12 disciples around him. Now you sit in triads and honor is always dictated by the right hand. So as you sit facing the table, the rightmost triad is the triad with the most honor. And the center seat is the most honorable seat of that triad. And the seat to the next, to the right of you is the next honorable seat. And the seat to your left is the next honorable seat. And then you move to the next triad and you start which which one of the triad, Brent? Uh, the the center, always the center. Center. And then you would go to the to the right. To the right, and then to the and then to the left. And then to the the left. Or, or the next triad, right? Oh, the next triad, I see. And and what and what seat of the next triad? Uh, the center again. Center. So there's a there's an honor code. There's an honor seating system here. And you have center, right, left, center, right, left, center, right, left. And each triad, the rightmost triad is the most honored triad. So we've put this here. Hopefully that makes sense. It's kind of hard to explain without being there in person. Yeah. And the diagram is upside down. So if you're, if you're approaching the table, the outside of the table, it would be the right side. But as, as it is in the diagram, it, it is the left side. The left side of your screen, your image there, it would be the right side if you were actually sitting at the table. So you see the big circle there. There. That big circle is Jesus, and then to his right would be. Um, what are the chances we could number these, Brent? Yeah, I'll number them. <laughs> okay, excellent, Brent. In fact, we're going to leave this in the recording too, so that you guys can appreciate what you're looking at. So we'll, Brent's numbered all the circles. We'll have a we'll have a J, and then we'll have one and two, and then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Absolutely, and Brent will send me a copy to approve to make sure we get the numbering right. <laughs> So yes, so we know where Jesus is sitting, and we can make some educated guesses about a few other people at the table. Number one, you you lean in on your left elbow because you're going to use your right hand, so you don't sit in chairs. This table is literally on the floor, and you recline on cushions on the floor. So you're laying on the floor around the table, and you lay on your left elbow because you want to reach in with your right hand because you don't eat with your left hand. That's an absolute no-no in their world. You use your left hand for other other things like using the restroom. So you leave your right hand for eating. So you're leaning on your left hand, reaching into the table with your right hand. And because of that, we know when we, when we are told in the story that somebody was sitting and leans back on his breast. Who was that, Brent? It says, 
Well, it says the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> All right. And we, we're, we're relative. There is a bunch of debate about this, by the way. But as we read it, we're going to assume that that is John. That's John. It's the author of his gospel. And we'll, we'll maybe talk about that before we're done with the gospel of John, that reference there. Probably not today. But John is sitting in seat number one. John is sitting in the place of most honor. He is the only one around the table that could lean back on Jesus's chest. He's the only one sitting there because Jesus is on his left elbow. The only one that can lean back on him is John. He's also dipping every triad shares a group of bowls. So there's a group of bowls in front of each triad. And Jesus says that the one who dips in the bowl with me is the one who's going to betray me. Now, assuming he's referencing Judas, we know where Judas is sitting, and that's in seat number two. Now, I don't think we know pretty much where anybody else is sitting except for one other person in the story. At one point in the story, Jesus is going to be talking about his betrayer, and somebody's going to motion to John, and he's going to say, ask him who he's talking about. Ask him who he's talking about. And who is it that motions to him? That's Peter. Peter. So now we know that Peter is sitting in that 12th slot over there, all the way on the end. He's the only one, like John could turn his head and you know, crane his head and look at somebody else. But the only person that naturally, comfortably sits and 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 is able to motion to John is Peter in that far corner, just because of how you're sitting on your left elbow. So we can assume that Peter is there. And the reason why that's important and that assumption feels like a good one is because of what happens next. If Peter is in that seat of least honor, that would be the least honorable seat, I don't know if Peter was assigned that seat. I don't know if Peter chose that seat. Maybe Peter's been listening. He's heard Jesus say the last will be first and the first will be last. And he as the ringleader is like, I get it. I'm supposed to be last. And so maybe he chose that last seat. We don't know. Total speculation. But if he is in that seat, then who do you suppose did the original foot washing to begin the meal, Brent? Uh, that, That would be Peter's place. If there's nobody else there... Peter would be the person whose job it is to serve the group by washing everybody's feet. Now, if that's true, go ahead and give me the next paragraph or so of our story. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Which, by the way, it it seems to me that it, it feels like he's coming last. Like Jesus has washed the disciples' feet in the previous verses. And when he came to Peter, that makes it feel to me like he's awfully close to the end, if not the end. And Peter, let's, let's hear his response. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Okay, so, so here's Peter, and Peter's reacting. If he was the one that washed feet originally, he's probably thinking to himself, hey, why are you washing feet again? We're just supposed to do like a hand washing. Like, wh- why are you doing this? Did I not do something right? Did I do something wrong? If I did something wrong, just tell me how to fix it. But the one thing you're not going to do, Jesus, you're the rabbi, you're Messiah, you're the king, you're the son of the living God, he said earlier. Like, I'm not going to, like, you're, I'm supposed to be the one serving. I'm not going to let you serve. Now we can see Peter's, like, visceral reaction to what's going on, because it feels to him like Jesus is trying to correct something that he's already done. Go ahead. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Which I don't believe is some statement about salvation, by the way. I think that's Jesus saying, listen, if you don't, if you don't let me do it, like you don't get it. If you don't let me teach you this, I'm teaching you a rabbi's in the middle of a lesson, Peter. 
<laughs> if you don't let me teach my lesson, you can't be a part of what I'm calling you to do. Just let me let me do the teaching, Peter. And Peter's like, I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Okay, so Jesus responds to Peter like, no, Peter, you, your washing was good. Like, we're not doing that kind of, that's not what I'm doing here, Peter. I, it's The washing is not the point, Peter. If you let me get to the end of my lesson, Peter, I'll tell you what the point is. But I, the washing is not the point. You already did a, a perfectly fine washing, Peter. We've already been washed. Good job. And then John drops in like almost this parenthetical. And again, I said this last episode, it's or two episodes ago. It's like, it's like Jesus kind of, it's like John drops in from the future. Like he uses his post resurrection perspective and kind of drops in a little editorial note. Because if Jesus truly said that, and I believe that he did, <laughs> and he's, and he's sitting at Jesus, at Peter's feet, and we know that Peter's going to deny Jesus, what do you think they thought? Jesus was referring to in right. that statement, Brent. Although Jesus hasn't uh, predicted that betrayal yet. He hasn't yet. But if you look back and like, this is John dropping in a little bit of post-resurrection perspective, because in the moment, it, or even after that immediate moment, it would not have probably been perceived that way. But, but I digress. Go ahead and keep reading. Right, right. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Now listen to his rabbinical point. Now he's going to teach, like Peter didn't get it, and now Jesus is going to make the point that he's trying to make about what it means to believe in him. Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you can have no part in me. This is the book of glory. If you say yes to Jesus in the book of signs, if you ended the book of signs and said, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, okay, Peter. This is what it means. You got to pay attention. You got to listen. Go ahead. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. All right. So Jesus's point is this isn't about who's sitting in chair number 12 or chair number 13. This isn't about who's sitting in that last seat, Peter. That washing was fine. You did a fine job with that. What I'm teaching you isn't about whose job it is. What I'm teaching you about is the kind of people that God is calling us to become. Because if I, your rabbi, your leader, your your Messiah— if I, the one in charge of this meal, just washed feet, then every single one of you is going to have to wash feet, no matter where you're sitting, no matter whose job it is. This is a part of who God is calling us to be. This has to be a part of our character, not just somebody's job. And that is what he's trying to impress upon his disciples. And just a stunning, in the context of that first century, like I know we've been in a lot of church things and we've done foot washings before and had the awkward moment and those are beautiful and I mean that. But in this first century, like Peter's reaction, completely understandable. There is no way I'm going to let my rabbi humiliate himself because I've made a mistake. And Jesus is like, no, you haven't made a mistake. I'm actually trying to teach you that what you just did a moment ago is what we're all called to do all the time, no matter who we are, 
where we are or what our title on our chair is. And that is a, is a really poignant lesson. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Okay, now again, let's talk about scripture fulfillment. Is Jesus saying that that verse, I don't even know what that verse is a reference to. Brent, go find, the, go find the reference there on that verse. Psalm 41. Is Psalm 41 talking about, Brent, you can even go pull up the context. Make sure that Psalm 41 is not talking about Jesus and the Passover meal. I'm pretty positive it's not a prophetic reference to Jesus' Seder in the future. <laughs> do you have uh, the do you have the context? It is a psalm of David. Okay. Um he's talking. He says all my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. All right, so this is very definitely about David and his immediate context. And when Jesus says this is written to fulfill scripture, he's not saying Psalm 41 prophetically told about this day. What he's saying is, this is what Scripture tells us about life. Scripture tells us that we will be betrayed. Scripture tells us that people in power and kings and messiahs, and people are betrayed. Betrayal is a part of our experience. And I do like Even that. David experienced this. Yeah, that, that immediate context right before that line. Even my close friend, someone I trusted— one who shared my bread has turned against me. Yep. And of course, it's perfectly fitting for Judas and the disciples. And Jesus is surrounded by his enemies that plot to take his life. Yes, 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 yes. But the fulfillment of scripture is Jesus saying, we've been here before. You can expect this kind of treatment. This isn't just what happened to Jesus. You can also expect this to happen to you. And I'm showing you how to react and respond and persevere and die. Like, I'm showing you how to do this well. So, go ahead. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Now, is Jesus saying, I'm telling you all this so that when this all happens, you'll look back on this and you'll go, ha, 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 Jesus was right. He really is Jesus. He's the Messiah. Or... Is Jesus saying, so when you go through these times, when after I'm, after I'm resurrected and gone, and you now are taking the kingdom of God forward, and you experience rejection, and you experience betrayal, and you hang in there and do the things that I've invited you to do, then you will know, to use John's earlier language, you will certify that this is true. That's how I read that. So go ahead. Yeah, and it does say... Uh, whoever accepts anyone I send. So he's talking about whether, whether the disciples will be accepted, you know, at that point. Absolutely. Yep. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? All right. So there's all your context we talked about earlier. Brilliant. Excellent. Go ahead. Good time to look back at that triclinium diagram. Ooh, yeah. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. 
Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, the part the, the part of the meal he's in right now, so what 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 is he just giving him bread and dipping? What is he dipping it in? This is the part of the meal, if you've ever gone through or experienced a Seder meal, this is the part of the meal where you take a piece of matzah bread and you dip it in the maror, the horseradish, and you and you that's the part of the meal that he just partook in. So realize that the, when you read this and you're like, how do they not know that? Because later they're arguing about who the betrayer is. How do they not know it's obviously Judas? It just said that Jesus took a piece of bread and he gave it to Judas. It seems obvious. And yet I think they would have heard, well, we're all taking the bread with Jesus. We're all, Jesus is simply saying it's one of us. Now, John tells it in such a way that we clearly see he's giving that. But the other part, go ahead and give me that last phrase there that I stopped you on, Brent. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now, you've done a Seder meal before, Brent, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> how's that How's that maror portion? How's the horseradish? What does that feel like going down? Uh, I've only done it once, and I hope to never do it again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> A, this is not like a quiet, somber moment of the meal, this is the part of the meal that everybody's waiting for, that ever grew up with the Seder. They know what's coming. This is a loud, raucous, I, I would assume people are are kind of goofing off and joking around, kind of like they do every single year. Everybody's always kind of elbowing everybody, like how much horseradish you're going to take this year. But also realize, what, what's, the, what's the horseradish supposed to symbolize, Brent? Can you remember? Bitterness. Bitterness, our sin, our rebellion, our... What happened, the the stuff that makes us go down to Egypt in the first place, that's why we take it. That's how nasty our sin and our rebellion and all of that stuff that leads to imperial oppression, that's that's what that tastes like. Now, when you realize that's what Jesus just handed him and you read Satan just entered him, like it just adds so much color and so much context to what you're, what you're reading in that statement, not just the abstract idea of Satan entering Judas. But in that moment, his his sin, his rebellion, his betrayal, everything enters, and it's it's the perfect moment. It's the perfect picture of what that looks like and what that experience would be. Just a, a, a brilliant moment for that line to show up. Um, and and to be worded that way. That's literally the picture of what's happening when you take the horseradish. Evil is entering into you. Sin and rebellion is going into you, and that's what you're remembering in that moment. And I think we kind of only focus on this kind of blown-up theological, what does it mean that Satan just entered into him? And he didn't even use the word Satan a moment ago. He used the word the devil, and it was lowercase, and now it's Satan. Like, what's going on here? And so anyway, I don't know if there's any unique notes there in the NET. It's the only time in John that Satan is mentioned by name. Okay. Contrasted to Luke, uh, Luke has Satan entering into Judas before the meal. Sure. Yep. I do wonder, though, do you think Jesus gave Judas like a, just a big old scoop of horseradish? I don't know. I was kind of wondering that, too. I didn't want to make too much light of that, but I do wonder if <laughs> Jesus was like, here's a big old dollop sunshine yep <laughs> or did he go light and make judas feel like is this is this appropriate for what i'm doing i don't know yeah uh let's continue reading i suppose yes so jesus told him what you are about to do do quickly uh which uh, my wife says that to me all the time and 
I, I wonder if she if she means it in, in as negative a way as it actually is in this context. Is she like referencing the biblical passage when she says it? I I think she just likes the phrasing. <laughs> sure, I, that's that's even more delightful. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him, since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Okay, and I, you know, I wonder what that even means. That is kind of a tricky passage to deal with. Like some people just envision Jesus saying, "I know what you're up to, do it anyway." Or, or I mean, that would just be a weird interchange. Like that, that would be a weird interchange. Isn't the word that would be a weird exchange between the two of them. Uh, Peter Rollins, uh, he he had a book called "The Fidelity of Betrayal," which is an interesting book, and, and it's got a bunch of interesting ideas in it. Um, very provocative book that made me think a lot. And I don't even know if I agree with everything in there, but, uh, he was, he, and I don't even know if, if Peter would have, Peter Rollins would have proposed this idea, but in the book, he says, you, you, it makes one wonder if this was even a prearranged, like Jesus knows that he, was this even a prearranged situation was, did Jesus say, I need you, I, I am here to confront the corrupt religious leadership, and I know that you are a zealot and are willing to do anything to get the job done, and Judas doesn't understand what's going on, and Judas totally misreads it, and Judas totally... I don't even know if I love that idea. I think I mentioned it in the 131 episode. Eh, I'm not in love with the idea. I'm not sure that's where I land, but it it is an interesting exchange. I don't know what you do with the idea of Jesus looking at Judas and saying, hey, what you need to do, go do quickly. If I'm Judas... I hear that, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely, Jesus, you got it. I know what you want. Well, let's go start the revolution. I don't I don't think Judas hears that and goes, oh, no, he knows what I'm doing. I think Judas thinks he's doing the right thing. And again, go listen to episode 131. We'll talk about that. I don't think Judas is out to actually betray Jesus. I think Judas is out to, at the very least, force Jesus's hand, if not think that he's doing exactly what Jesus wants him to do, only to be totally confused later when Jesus goes ahead and and dies his death. So anyway, uh, I just find that to be a very interesting verse. And I do wonder, like, like if he gave him a big old scoop of the stuff, and then Judas is looking at it like, are you kidding me? I'm supposed to eat this? <laughs> yeah. And then Jesus is saying, you know, what you're about to do, do quickly. <laughs> Like, ah. just, just get it over with. Sure. And then it That's says, funny. as soon as Judas has, had taken the bread, he went out. Like, he could not he could not handle it. He was just coughing. He was whatever. And he just had to get out of there. Man, Brent, you're killing me here with that take. I would have thought that's ridiculous. But now I'm looking at it going, oh, goodness, you can absolutely read it that way. <laughs> and you wonder almost if, like, John's shaping it a little, you know. But, like, I could totally see that happening. And Judas is all ticked and leaves from, you know, he goes outside to have his cough and throw up moment. It's like, that's it. I'm going to go talk to the priest. (laughs) If you eat enough, will it make you throw up? Absolutely. Oh, goodness, yes. I mean, there was one year I I thought we were going to have to call an ambulance for one of my college students. I was a little concerned of how it was uh, going down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. Uh, When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. All right, so Jesus is now transitioning from that book of signs to this book of glory. He is going to be glorified, and this glorification is going to involve his death and his sacrifice, and now he's beginning to prepare his disciples. He's letting them know, I go to do something that I'm not coming, like he is coming back from, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but he is going to leave and go to a place, and they're going to be left on their own to do the thing that Jesus has left them to do. He's going to send them his spirit. That's all coming in the next few chapters. But they're going to be, and so now he's starting to prepare them. This is the program. Are you guys ready? Are you guys taking notes? I just washed your feet. Are you guys paying attention? Here's the program. I'm going to leave. I I got to give you the program. I'm not going to be here. It's going to be all in your hands. Here's the program. Love. The program is love one another. That's what you have to take into this world. Of all the things that he could tell them about, he could tell them all about evangelism, saving souls. He could tell them all about, he could even tell them about discipleship, one of Marty's four pillars. He could tell them all about he, the one thing that you guys have to know about what you're taking into the world, love. If you do not love one another, and he's going to, this is not going away for the next three or four or five chapters of John, you have got to love one another. It's the, it's the only testimony you have in this world is your love for one another. And it's at this very meal that they've already argued about who's the greatest, is that this very, and Jesus is like, you have to understand love. Love, that's what you're taking. That's the program. That's the only program. That is the one program we're running, is love for one another. Go ahead. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Spoiler alert. Will he? Will he? I think he will. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, that he's, you know, having this conversation again that he did have previously. I think that was John 7, where he um, was telling the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, whatever, that you can't follow me. And they were, yeah, they right. were, they were all upset about that. Um, and Peter's like, well, wait a second. Do we get to go? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's finally sunk in like, oh, that made sense when you were telling them, but you're telling us. Cause yeah, before it was like, is he going to the Gentiles? Is he going to kill himself? Like, wh- where is he going? I don't understand. And now the disciples are realizing they're not coming. What in the heck? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. And at least not yet. Yep. Okay. Well, that's John 13. It's John 13. On to the next. Okay. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. You can find more details about the show at com. Be sure to check out the presentation if you didn't have a chance to already. Uh, Marty, should I include a, a photo from the trip of a triclinium? You can, if you so choose. I'm trying to think what I would include. What would I, what would I put in there? The fancy house? You, yeah, I mean, we don't want to like give away too many secrets, but yeah, yeah I mean, no, the fancy house might be too much. We, we have the one from Turkey, but it's not quite as like straightforward. The other one was kind of hidden. Like, if you really wanted to show it, it'd have to be the the fancy house as we're talking about. <laughs> I'll see what I can find because I'm not even sure I have the right kind of picture that, that would show what we need to show anyway. So I'll sure. s- I'll see okay. what I have, and if I have a good photo that. Uh, that adds to this illustration i'll include it but i don't know 
Dear listener, open that presentation and find out if I did or not. (laughs) So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. That was it right there, right? (laughs) Cutting off that last question. Uh, It didn't feel like... It just felt like the, the natural question of the whole episode. Well, good. Well, then you just cut out all this other garbage.